The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, here joined virtually once again by Ian Harditz, who is in Ohio, and interjected John Daigle, who is in his cavernous apartment in Connecticut. Daigle, Ian, how are you? I'm doing great. I can't speak for John, but he looks great. John, you trimmed the beard, it looks like. Trimmed the beard a little bit, also just shaved the head, so that helps as well. Yeah, man, you're looking sharp. We're really testing out the energy, though, with 48 hours to the draft. (laughs) With uh, 250 plus blurbs to write for players, we're really testing it out, man. Just in general, I mean, I, I've sat next to both of you for months and months and months. Ian, I would not point to as a procrastinator. You both could probably point to me as a bit of a procrastinator when it comes to writing. Daigle, how are you handling these blurbs? Are you on schedule? Is it something why you might have to pull a college all-nighter ahead of Thursday? I don't know what on schedule is. So this is the first time I'm doing this. But much like it used to be someone else who people may know as Evan Silva. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. The tank. Uh, yeah, the tank. But much like a 12-hour stream, like I'm a big believer in just doing things, right? Like we really don't know what is successful and what can be good unless we just do everything. So I'm a big believer in that. But taking on this project, along with Hayden Winks, by the way, he's doing an amazing job as well on the back end. Uh, it's super tough, admittedly, because you're just trying to aggregate the information from people that you know are also looking at the same thing more intelligently than you. So like, it's very important for me to have even something as simple as like Bruce Feldman's uh, athletic info on there. Like if Jeff Jeff Gladney squats 650 pounds, we need to know this for his press coverage abilities, right? So just taking all that in is really the overwhelming part. And I I would say this year's been more difficult than other years probably to write those because we don't have (laughs) the athletic profiles. We don't have teams and places that they've visited. So we don't know who's been showing interest. So I, I can tell you, and one, welcome to both of you to Rotoworld's draft week coverage, because it is quite a circus on Thursday, Friday, and especially Saturday when there are what five to seven minutes in between each pick. And, you know, there are about seven of us blurbing at once, six or seven of us blurbing at once. And, you know, you all cross your fingers that someone is not selected in round four 
who does not have blurbs pre-written by Hayden Winks and John Daigle this year, because then in those five minutes, you have to make the player page, then write the blurb, do a tremendous amount of work in that short five minute time frame, and stay on schedule so you don't bring everyone else behind. So it's it's a bit of like a cramming assembly line that we all have to be you know working in unison. But it's it's fun. It's draining, but it's a lot of fun. Hey, well, we got to make it through these next four days, and then we got another three months to pretty much chill till preseason. So we can do and, this, guys. And at the same time, you have Ian on the, on the front end of the page churning out uh, pieces on different units, like his offensive line continuity piece, which is really good. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on for everyone right now. Well, look, if we're hyping up content here, I mean, I just posted my final top 150 board. Day I think it took week. you like four days to write, too. Where's the yeah, drum line on that one? <laughs> the I thought trumpets? Josh's article the, yeah, the trumpets, yeah. that's it. <laughs> well, the final mock draft, I know Daigle's writing one as well. Those will be posted on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning as well. And Daigle, our mock draft with me, you, Paul Burmeister, and Hayden Winks, I thought turned out fantastic. It's getting a lot of traction on YouTube. The clips yeah, you can all really find on Road World as well. I had a great time with that. Considering the circumstances of not being in the same room, I thought the conversation flowed quite well. So good job. And, and honestly, I left the first 48 hours thinking I made some donkey picks at the end. But I got to be honest with you, the more I've done my mock over the weekend, it's kind of closer than I thought it was. Hmm. Hmm. Which no we'll find out Wednesday night. <laughs> We'll know more about Wednesday night. I should probably tell you the schedule. I mentioned that Daigle and I will have mock drafts on Thursday, as will Hayden Winks. My prospect top 150 is out right now. Thursday night at the end of the first round, we'll have a four-person podcast, videos included. Also videos with me and Andy Harditz that are working through some details right now, instant reaction videos during that first round. Heading into day two, we will have the best prospects still on the board, a day two mock draft with Hayden Winks, then boom, day two goes through, and then boom, we're into day three. And then we'll have a wrap-up podcast of our favorite drafts on Monday morning. So keep it here. And again, all those blurbs that Daigle and Hayden are writing that we are basically just posting for them uh, will be on every single selection throughout the NFL draft. All right, let's get to today. Yeah, today's big. Uh, NFL draft week, as you all know, is full of rumors, buzz, information that we might be able to find value in and a lot of nonsense out there as well. 90% of it will end up being false, but you know that doesn't mean it's not worth considering as the draft can only unfold in one way. And you know talking these through scenarios might see some truth emerge. So I thought today the best avenue would be to have a little bit of an NFL lie detector here. You know, we scoured the blurbs, Twitter columns to find news that we thought was noteworthy. So we'll put them in the chair, ask questions to each other to determine if that buzz is potentially true or if it's flat out false. Does that sound good, gentlemen? Good. Let's do this. And I want you to start. This is your time to shine. Trumpets, four days to write a column. Now to do the first pick. Let's do this. Look, I work on my time, Dangle. <laughs> I work on my time. You work on Zap's time. All right. This one comes from Ian Rappaport, and it's kind of a double down on a report that he had last week. The Falcons continue to be the team to watch when it comes to moving up in the NFL draft. This is a quote. They have talked to teams well into the top 10 and appear to be ready to make a huge leap from number 16 via a trade. Look, the Falcons have, as Ian pointed out, pick number 16 overall. They only have a second, third, two-fourths, and a seventh in this entire draft. From a team-building standpoint, 
I do not understand this at all. Ian Harditz, are you on with me or are you more of the mind right now of Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov who seem to think that this might be a good idea? Well, I've seen the other reports saying that they seem to specifically be moving up for a corner with that being either Jeffrey Okuda or CJ Henderson. And it's like, look at this defense. I don't think they're one player away from necessarily competing. And I know, you know they traded up in the past for Julio Jones and that you know kind of helped take their offense from good to great. But I don't think their defense is in that same situation where you can warrant trading up, plugging in one player, and all of a sudden you have a good unit. I know Trufant's gone. You know, we have Dan Quinn hyping up Kendall Sheffield as potential number one cornerback. You know, a bottom 10 corner from PFF's metrics can be a number one cornerback in Dan Quinn's mind. So, yeah, they got to help the cornerback position. But come on, like we've seen this enough. If you're going to trade up, I really don't think it should be at a position like cornerback. And you better be pretty damn sure, which it does not exactly seem like they are. And oddly enough, the corner that the drum beats getting louder for, C.J. Henderson, that they could be moving up for, Josh, I know in your analysis, you have questions about him. Like an elite physical athlete, right? But he still struggled in tackling. He allowed 10.5 yards per target last year as he took a step back in college. And as Ian noted, this team has holes across their defense. It's not just we grab one corner following the release of Desmond Trufant and we're good to go from that point on. I don't know about this Falcons team. You know, they were just a half away from winning the Super Bowl just a few years ago, and they've completely nosedived basically ever since. And I wouldn't say it's the offense's fault per se. I mean, look, 365 days ago, this team knew how desperate of a need offensive line was to keep the offense inside of structure as much as possible. So they spent a first round pick on Chris Lindstrom, and then they trade back into the first round to get Caleb McGarry you know, double dipping at that spot. To your point, if if we were to look at what the need would be, yes, cornerback, or I would even nominate possibly interior defensive line as well. On the point of C.J. Henderson, that is definitely true, but the talent just doesn't disappear that he showed in 2018 as well. And I will say with Henderson, from what I've heard, and I haven't gone through and studied every single Florida game or anything like that, but apparently his coverage responsibilities were pretty intense. You know, a whole lot of one-on-one. You take the opponent's best wide receiver. It reminded me just a little bit of, you know, Darius Slay and how we had to talk about his down 2019 in the context of what he was asked to do within this game. I don't know which exact slot they're trying to move into, but given Henderson's over-under current prop at 12.5, it just seems like it fits with number nine of the Jaguars trading back hmm. um, to the Falcons' number 16 spot. So who could we see moving back in this scenario? Could we see the Panthers at number seven who has you know so many holes to fill um, on that defensive side of the ball? Could it be the Chargers at number six if they don't like a quarterback? Um, the Cardinals at number eight, if they want to attack that tackle spot a little bit later on. Um, it's it's interesting. Okay, let's let's put a book in to this conversation here on the Falcons. Do we think it's true that the Falcons will trade up in the first round? By all accounts, the buzz to me point to yes. But again, from a team building standpoint, when you operate in the NFC South with offenses like the New Orleans Saints, like now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Unless, you know, Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov think they're on like the final year of, you know, their time with the Falcons, this is going to take future responsibilities and draft capital. And for that reason, I just don't think it's going to happen. I'm at 51.49, yes. Okay. I think it happens. There's too, I don't think it's a smart idea, but I think it happens. There seems right. to be too much smoke right now. All right. One of you are next. Nominate some NFL draft buzz that you wish to put under the NFL lie detector. Okay. 
All right, I got this. I'm attacking this OBJ rumor that seemed to start out of nowhere. We've had Adam Schefter come out and say they are not shopping at OBJ. Do not believe this. And I don't think we should be believing it, especially not to the Minnesota Vikings. Why would they trade an incredible deep ball, talented diva receiver like Stephon Diggs only to then take the same draft picks they got in return and go out and try to get OBJ? I don't think it makes sense for the Vikings. I don't think it makes sense for the Browns. You still got Baker Mayfield on this rookie contract. Do you want the guy to have a bounce back third season? Stripping away his, if you really want to be a you know mean person, stripping away his number two wide receiver, I don't think it's a great idea. We still know what OBJ can do. Okay, Jarvis, Hooper, Hunt, Chubb, there's plenty of talented pieces on the offense already, but if unless you're getting like Trent Williams directly for OBJ, you're getting a star for a star, unless it's something like that, I just don't see it right now. You have your rookie quarterback deal, keep building around him. Don't just give up on one of the game's most talented receivers after one season in which you didn't see the chemistry and he was playing through injury. Yeah, Schefter quickly squashed those because we had two names who were not credible sources pretty much reporting these things. And then Schefter coming in and just saying, no, like this is not it whatsoever. The Vikings pick at 22 and 25. And one of those, perhaps even both, who knows, would obviously have to be moved in trading for Beckham, but it doesn't make sense. Like, yes, the Browns can move back and still get an Ezra Cleveland or uh, Isaiah Wilson or someone like that in that spot, but you have the number 10 overall pick. I think the only thing that makes sense is you either stick there and take your left tackle of the future or you move it for Trent Williams. Yeah, I I see this draft rumor completely crumbling under pressure right now because it's just not it's not going to happen daigle basically outlined it the source that put this out on the internet is not credible and then it just disappeared and it's 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 not feasible i i think it would be something we could dive into a little bit more if like the browns were in a a 49ers type scenario where they had like one first round pick and then didn't have another selection until the fifth round. Like there was just this draft void for them in terms of draft capital. And so now was a time to obviously deal to Forrest Buckner. That's not the case here with the Browns. They have a first round pick, a second round pick, two third round picks. Like this isn't a team desperate to move one of their best players when their quarterback is on a rookie contract. This is unbelievably false. I have a better question while we're talking about OBJ though. How sure are we that the 2020 bounce back is going to happen? Because, look, I, I, I think the talent's still there. I think OBJ can definitely be wide receiver one in the entire league if the targets are there. But I have no idea if the targets are going to be there. Stephon Diggs led the Vikings in Kevin Stefanski's offense last season in targets with 94. That was with Adam Thielen out half the season. Now we have a much more crowded offense. I'm not saying it's going to be the same unit. You know, Gary Kubiak, Mike Zimmer, I'm sure, had their you know imprint on that offense, one to be more run heavy. But – Man, if we can't really give Beckham much of a target projection, we better be pretty sure that Baker is going to get back to being Baker if we're going to go ahead and you know predict that Beckham can get back in that wide receiver one class. Do do we know what Baker is? Like, no. we we know twelve games of his rookie season versus what sixteen games of his second season. And yes, his rookie season was exciting; it was flashy. Uh, second season was not. He held back the offense, and the offense held him back. As well, Dig, we can pivot this over to the Browns at number 10. Like, I think it comes back to them selecting an offensive tackle at that spot, and that rounds out that offensive line, hopefully. And, you know, there has been a little bit of buzz that maybe they won't select uh, an offensive tackle at number 10 and instead wait for someone like Ezra Cleveland, who has great athletic profile. But let me ask you this Andrew Barry, between his time, with the Cleveland Browns, spent time with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a team that thought one year ahead with Andre Dillard as their future left tackle, traded up in the first round to get him. 
the Eagles, maybe more than any other club, value offensive line depth. I mean, I, I don't see a path where Andrew Barry, who's a decision maker now with the Browns, allows them to bypass their number one need at, in probably his eyes, a pivotal position in building an NFL roster. And that's the question we're asking, right? Do they draft a tackle or do they trade out? And trading out would mean trading out for a tackle most likely. Uh, the new regime has made it known in every interview that they're only looking for high character guys, right? Uh, so I think that takes Makai Becton out of the picture at number 10, given that he was recently flagged. I understand it wasn't that big of a deal, but perhaps it's just enough to push him down the first round a little bit. So we're basically asking, do you want Tritt Williams on a renegotiated deal for $18 million annually? Or do you want someone like Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, or Ezra Cleveland, who we think can still be had at the end of the first round? And mm-hmm. right now, I still just see them taking uh, Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs, depending who falls, um, at the number 10, rather than trying to get a deal done on draft night with Trent Williams for, I said 18, but it could very well teeter at 20, 21 million. All right. I think they should go for the Williams trade. And Dago, I think you that's brought that's this trade yeah. up in our I think, trade podcast. And it's like, this is the Browns' window right now. It may not seem like it after last year, but just the way their salary cap is set up with the players, they're going to have to pay a lot of money very soon. This is their window. So, yeah, paying Trent Williams a lot, you got to add another salary on it. But do it. You're playing for 2020 and 2021 included. All right. Closing the book on the Browns potentially trading Odell and you know not taking an attack or – in the first round, John Daigle, it's your time to nominate some draft buzz for us to discuss. Let's just get the one everyone's come for out of the way. Uh, as it stands right now, Tua's over-under prop is under five and a half, the favorite, minus 134, compared to Justin Herbert's under five and a half, minus 110. So what happens here? The Miami Herald's Barry Jackson, since January, has reported that Tua and Jordan Love were the preferences at quarterback. But... Mid-February, we saw what happened in the media. Daniel Jeremiah, Mel Kuyper, even um, Barry Jackson's colleague, uh, or Armando Salgaro, sorry. Um, he came out and he wrote a report mid-February that, no, actually the Dolphins are lukewarm on Tua and very high on Herbert. And since then, it's well known that Salgaro has actually even been cut off from his sources inside the organization <laughs> because he leaked what seems like entirely too much information, right? Uh, so 72 four hours before the draft, we now suddenly have Tua re-entering the, the frame as uh, the number five overall pick. And quite frankly, like, I'm not buying it at all. I still think, that whether you think it's right or not, I still think their choice here is Herbert. Yeah, Uncle Tony Pauline um, has even mentioned and written that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross is, quote, talking as though Justin Herbert is not in the team's plans with the fifth overall pick. You know, in a draft process, this is, that is void of information and buzz because there are no pro days and scouts aren't talking and leaking information, so on and so forth, starting conversations. I, I think the Dolphins have the most buzz right now and potentially what they do. And Ian, it's because they own the NFL draft this year. They have the number five overall pick, the number 18 overall pick, the number 26 overall pick, the seventh pick in the second round, the 24th pick in the, in the second round. I mean, this is so much draft capital where they can move up if they want to. They're not going to move out of number five to acquire more picks. So the decision is going to rest with them here at that fifth overall pick. Yeah, I just hope for the love of God they build an offensive line that can protect whoever they end up taking. You know, I'm not sure what they're going to do here. I will say we're starting to get to the point of draft season where people are just almost writing off Justin Herbert's entire career. I'm not – I would take two over him, sure. I'm not – 
not saying you need to crown Herbert, but after going through Daniel Jones last year, after going through Josh Allen two years ago, I just think after we spend three months on these quarterbacks, we start to just wonder how can they do anything at the NFL level before we even see them have a snap. I know we you know, don't have the opportunity to do that yet. We're just talking projections and all that, but I would just caution anyone that's willing to write off Herbert's entire career. Let's see what the guy does in August. Let's see what the guy does as a rookie before we take too drastic of measures. Yeah, I understand that. I will say, you know, I've seen some links between, you know, us questioning us as in the media group, questioning Justin Herbert compared to questioning Josh Allen. I would say their play styles could not be more different, right? With Josh Allen, we talk about it all the time, Ian. He is a pedal to the floor playmaker. There, there is no occasion where he thinks that I'm going to take a negative play in this manner. Like I'm going to make something happen no matter what, give my body up for it to happen. And on many occasions, it doesn't work out. On many occasions, it does. And he pulls off some unreal plays that almost no other quarterback in the NFL could do. With Justin Herbert, it's like tentative. It's it's passive a little bit. He lacks that mentality. I'm saying so, the overall projection. I understand they're completely different players. Sure, I sure. Just, but, but, but the overall projection encompasses small details, right? It encompasses who they are and how they play the game. And so... To me, again, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert are quite different, but I understand what your case is. Like the hive mind, the group think, latches on to, you know, destroying certain prospects in this class. But it's it's difficult to get by the fact what Tua showed for three years and then not wanting to take him when you're in this scenario, potentially in the top five day. It just seems like they built a bonfire or it's a bonfire of news right for an entire month and now all of a sudden on clickbait week like we're changing our minds no we're mm. not at all it still seems like it's Herbert or number five and if the Chargers believe that they could jump up to number three or number two whatever and try to get Herbert ahead of the Dolphins but again the Dolphins own the draft the Dolphins own all the capital in this draft so they can move ahead as well if they want to have Herbert so I just only imagine in this scenario the Dolphins landing Tua if the Chargers jump them. But again, I don't think that happens. And I think so much of it just rests in the medicals. And we talked about this during the mock draft where, you know, Herbert is now considered safe because he doesn't have, you know, the hip, the surgeries and ankles, so on and so forth. And, you know, I don't wear a lab coat. I don't have the information of Tua's medicals. And that's going to be different throughout the entire NFL. All I can tell you and you know, try to, to guess at is what we see on games when we review them. And I, I don't know how you can come away when watching their games and say that Justin Herbert is a better prospect than Tua. And no matter what, if you select Herbert over Tua, you are making that declaration in some way. Because in that case, you are banking on Tua getting hurt with another team, Justin Herbert staying healthy, and then ultimately becoming a better prospect than to a Tango Vailoa is. And I, that's too many steps for me to, to entertain and, and agree with here. And I agree with you on the analysis portion of it, but just sifting through the news and papers for the past few months, uh, it's not a reach for me. So, so you think, to, again, yeah. put a book into this, that Justin Herbert is the fifth overall pick to the Dolphins? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, why don't we you know translate this to the number six overall pick? Because I've been mocking... Justin Herbert to the Chargers for a very, very long time. Um, I mean, you've heard me make that connection between Lindsey Jones at the NFL Combine saying a, a 
team has had Justin Herbert as the number one quarterback on their board for basically two years and how Tom Telesco hid his interest in Joey Bosa, but did the exact same thing in that manner. But what we're also hearing and the buzz is, is that Anthony Lynn just absolutely loves Terod Taylor and doesn't view Terod Taylor as this bridge quarterback. So my question then is what is the number six overall pick going to be? And I would have to say it's left tackle. You know, you added Trey Turner, you have right tackle more or less locked down. That left tackle spot is where you gave away Russell Okung to get Trey Turner. And in order for this offense to succeed, you're going to need, you know, some semblance of protection and structure to it. And where they are picking at number six is the ideal spot to pick one of these left tackles. I think they're 100% taking a quarterback in the first round of this draft. Len is talking very kindly about his quarterback that he's coached for years and years and years. I would expect nothing less. Sure, we see guys like Joe Judge not even like mention Daniel Jones's name, but that still doesn't make it, even though we have reports coming out saying the Giants are looking at quarterbacks. I think we're all pretty confident that Daniel Jones is going to be the starting quarterback for the Giants in 2020. And, you know, maybe Tyrod is that for the Bills in, you know, the first couple of weeks, but I just don't see any scenario where they go into next season with Tyrod and who knows behind them on this depth chart. Look, Lynn likes him fine, but does the rest of the front office share that feeling? We have no idea. And I just think it's, it'd be borderline like malpractice to not put some, to not even take this chance. Again, you know, I've talked about this before already, but the rookie, if you can have a high performing rookie quarterback, we see him at Russ with Dak, Cowboys didn't work out as much, but it just gives you so many more roster possibilities. So it's not even take a chance on that. It just doesn't make sense. It's not going to hurt your salary cap. It's they don't have a they, they have a left tackle need. That's fine. But other than tackle, it's actually a pretty complete team. If there was a team in the NFL that could take a rookie quarterback, not have to necessarily rush them, but also just have them on the roster, see what you have with them. I think it's the Chargers. Injecting Isaiah Simmons into the same defense as no. Derwin James. Just listen a second. It makes sense, right? I don't. It does think it not happens. make sense. I don't think it happens, but I think it actually makes sense a little bit. <laughs> no, you say. Uh, they can hold the, the Chiefs to twenty-eight now. Taking the left <laughs> tackle also makes sense. However, I still think it's a quarterback, and you know maybe it's conspiracy. I have no idea. But they didn't just add Trey Turner and Brian Belaga to shore up like the right side of their line because they weren't going to draft a left-handed quarterback, right? Like, You know what? That's an interesting point. And, you know, I presented the opening argument where left tackle is a possibility because of Anthony Lynn's statement. But Ian, it is nearly impossible to put our brains in an NFL decision maker's brain and say, look at this roster. Does this roster really generate less than you know, six wins next season to potentially put you back into the top 10? No, it's a fantastic roster. So now is the time at the number six overall pick to take your shot at a quarterback. Like it doesn't make sense. Like everything that you've built the last two or three seasons because of the injury disasters and like the final second losses that this team had, like the worst luck we've seen in the past few years, all of that has culminated to this point. We have a very talented group. And you're going to let who I like, but Tarod Taylor cap your ceiling with it? No. Now is your chance to select the quarterback. They have to do it. They have to do it. We've seen Tyrod ceiling. It's as a 7-9 to nine to 9-7 nine to seven quarterback. That's a hell of a lot better than most quarterbacks we see come to the league. That's a good guy to have on your roster. That's a good backup. That's a good bridge quarterback. The fact Anthony Lynn is trying to call him more than that is nice. I think it's a nice thing for the coach to say. But come on now. This is the definition of coach speak. All right, so we agree that this is a lie 
that the Chargers passing on quarterback at number six will not happen. It should not happen. It should Correct. not happen. Agreed. All right, Ian. Get to quarterback. After you take a sip of whatever's in that mug, it's time for you to put someone in the chair. Good old hazelnut coffee. All right. I think that the Jaguars have no real intentions of trading Leonard Fournette. So I think the only way they would do it is if they can get a high round pick and no one is going to give a high round pick for Fournette right now. And, you know, you toss out the 2020 number and it doesn't seem all that bad. It's like four or five million or something, but it's still like a top 20 running back contract around the league. And I mean, I, I went through the rosters to try to find anyone that could, you know, fit Fournette in their offense feasibly. I got the Bills, Chiefs, Rams, Buccaneers, Lions, Eagles. Some of those are stretches. None of them is, is he going to walk in there with a three down roll or anything like that. These are teams that can maybe use someone with his like inside the tackle presence, whatever you want to call it. No one else is going to give him the same three down roll that Jacksonville gave him last year. I'm not even convinced Jacksonville is going to give him that role. That's why John and I, we've been doing our best ball drafts on Friday. We've been happy to scoop up for Quell Armstead in the later rounds of drafts. Cause right now he could just be our RB one uh, post draft potentially. So we'll see what Fournette. I think more than anything, I forget what reporter brought this out, but, this might just be the Jaguars saying, hey, Leonard, we hear you. We hear you're not happy. Here's a look at your trade market, man. You actually got more than me. I only made it to the Bills and Eagles, and then I stopped. But <laughs> the only reason I'm skeptical about not being able to find a home is because this is the same thing we said this offseason. It was impossible to move David Johnson, who was due $10 million this year, with shaky knees. Looks like he runs in quicksand right now. And yet they found one suitor. It was impossible to get rid of Todd Gurley because cutting him would take on 20 plus million in dead cap. And yes, they just got rid of him. So I still believe like even, even if it's a fourth rounder, not kidding. I think they just would part ways with him, and that's it. Oh, I, I think they would absolutely take a fourth rounder based on all the yeah. buzz of, of him being late, sleeping in, you know, not being and, a great teammate, so on and so forth. And honestly, like going from Franco to Fournette, it's not really, that's not bad, right? No, that's no, not it's bad not bad at all. That's kind of the role he needs to play. And, Ian, I think you got mad at me when I suggested Melvin Gordon going to Buffalo. We saw what Melvin Gordon ended up in Denver because you want Devin Singletary to be like the lone ball carrier in that backfield. I agree with you, but I would also say the Bills are one of these teams that have had everything pointing to this moment right now and are definitely heavily investing in that. So if they think that even in a two-down capacity, Leonard Fournette can help them, then, then they might take a shot on it. I will add, though, that one, Buffalo's culture is quite different with Sean McDermott than we've seen in Jacksonville. And two, Leonard Fournette, at best, is an adequate football player. Leonard Fournette, people need to get over where Leonard Fournette was drafted and Mm -hmm. considering him to be one of these top talents at running back. He absolutely is not. He's almost a zero in the passing game. As a runner, he runs into his offensive line and then runs into defenders and he, he just is incapable of making people miss at the second and third level, and then get caught, gets caught from behind. We've seen Derrick Henry had so many years of stress and anxiety of believing that now's the time until in 2019, he had the perfect situation to succeed. And we finally saw it happen. I think Henry's a better player than Leonard Fournette. But it'll take that type of situation for me to see Fournette reach his ceiling. I would like to see Fournette get out of this Jaguars culture, though, before we kind of talk too far down on him. This has not been a good situation for almost any player. Look at all their stars. Jalen Ramsey, boy, everyone just gets traded at the first sign of trouble. They don't – I mean, I don't know why any player would want to willingly sign a free agent deal with the Jaguars these days. I mean, there's just – you know, we see them posting the uh, Will Smith French – 
uh, fresh pin, Prince of Bel Air meme, or just, you know, looking around in the room like no one else is here. I've seen multiple Jaguars post that meme in the last year. They don't want to keep anyone there. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think Fournette is replaceable. But this is still a guy that, you know, throughout high school, throughout college, was viewed as a generational piece. I wouldn't mind seeing what he could do in an organization that isn't one of the few dumpster sure. fires left in the NFL. But can we get in a time machine and go back to 1995? Because that's what it's going to take for him to be, you know, a, a 1,800-yard player, both in the passing yeah. and, and running game. I don't know. And now with these running backs, man, you have one contract to show it. You know, you have one contract to show it, and he's almost done with his rookie contract. And what he has shown is, you know, when the team is good, when they have a great defense and relying on him in the running game, yes, he can produce. But if it's not an ideal position to succeed, he's an adequate player at best. And remember, since his fifth-year option is an aggregate of the top salaries, salaries at his position around the league, like Christian McCaffrey's extension, just bump that number up well over $10 million. They'll have to pay him next year, whoever takes him on. And Alvin Kamara's will probably – do the same yeah. thing. Um, I don't know, though, going back to the emphasis of this question, I don't know how much another team is going to covet Leonard Fournette enough for them to trade for him during draft weekend. I mean, it's less than two years ago where towards the end of the season, he got benched because of his behavior. Like, he got benched for someone I think named David Williams. Like, just mm-hmm. randos in week like 17. Seventh rounder, yeah. You know, and then like he and Tom Coughlin last offseason – had like sit down meetings and, you know, bygones be bygones and so on and so forth. These things just pop up every offseason with Leonard Fournette. And I don't think he's the type of talent that you go out of your way now when we're overvaluing draft capital to trade some of it to acquire him. But maybe I'm wrong, Ian. I could absolutely be wrong. So No, but I'm pretty much agreeing with you. I don't think anyone's going to go out there and trade him. So, yeah, he might be on the trade block, but I don't think whatever the Jaguars are hoping to get, I don't think they're going to. Dago, I just think 2020 is going to suck for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like we, were, we were well ahead of the curve here in saying that this team's ultimate goal is to not win in 2020. Yeah. Like They're not trying to win in Jacksonville, maybe for short-term reasons for 2021, maybe for long-term reasons to potentially move the franchise. But it's just going to be, unless Gardner Minshew can somehow continue to pull rabbits out of his hat and improve as a player, it's going to be a rough 2020 for that Jacksonville team. I would say real quick, Dagle, that's the one thing uh, during the best ball, you were saying that Minshew could be the sneaky late round quarterback that kind of ends up becoming a QB one because he does scramble so much. And if they are playing from behind, he's going to rack up the pass attempts, but man, it's, it's tougher for me to get behind him. When I look at the roster and see exactly what Josh has said. This team is trying to lose in 2020. I don't want to steal someone's topic, but can we jump to Yannick Ngakwe? Cause it's kind of the same thing where the Jaguars are in a good position to rebuild, I guess, but we don't have any trust whatsoever in them doing this correctly. Uh, They have a number nine pick. They have the number 20 pick, and that's assuming they don't move back at all or move forward. But then they also have Ngakwe, who could bring in one, maybe even two first-rounders. But where where do they even go with him? Like We know him and the Eagles have mutual interest reportedly, uh, which is a wild fit to add him to that defensive line all of a sudden. Hmm. But beyond that – I don't know who else offers the kind of compensation they want. Yeah, I don't know either because I'm sure Yannick wouldn't want to go to a team. I guess, you know, that's probably not fair to say. Yannick Gakwe probably wants to get paid. You know, that's the ultimate yeah. goal for all these players that want to move teams is to, is to get paid. We saw it with DeAndre Hopkins. We saw it with Stephon Diggs. Obviously, those contracts haven't happened. But that's why these top talents, you know, are, are on the move. 
Um, maybe the Miami Dolphins are a case here, right? Like this edge rushing class after Chase Young is extremely questionable. You have names like Kalevan Chason. You have names like Yeter Gross Matos. I mean, there's a 10 or 12 stand-up edge rushers that might go in round three and round four. But there is no premier name after Chase Young. And that could be Yannick Ngakwe, maybe for that late first-round pick of the Dolphins. And he turned 25 just last week. So, like, he's already essentially someone you should be drafting number one overall in this draft that you could have for a first-round pick. What do you have to do in Jacksonville to get a second contract? Dude. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. We're just oh. going from player to player. Okay, I know Yannick is clearly way better than Fournette in terms of both proven ability and, you know, positional uh, you know, we care about that, but it's just again and again with these guys, like miles Jack is probably going to all of a sudden not be able to get a second contract after he's due for it. I mean, it, I cannot think of one Jacksonville player over the last two decades that has just, you know, had a great long career there and never had any problems with the front office. Well, I can tell you what you can't do. And that's tweet the owner's son and telling him that, Hey, I, I want to get out of here because that certainly has not worked out uh, for Yannick and Gakwe at all. And I'll tell you this, Ian Harditz, Miles Jack actually already received a second contract. So he is like, uh, he is like the good. one, he is the one player defensively. But you think back to it, like they drafted Dante Fowler in the top 10. He was not playing at a top 10 caliber level and Yannick Ngakwe was out playing him and boom. Now even Yannick can't even get a, a contract. And one guy, the one guy they give a second contract to is the guy who we think his knees might disappear like six or seven years into his career. And, and instead, and instead, the team goes out and signs like Andrew Norrell in free agency, who's been an absolute joke for them since joining them. And they have a team-friendly out with Miles Jack's deal in 2021. And at this point, like we don't know. Maybe they just void it and let it go. I mean, the team again. How Jacksonville is built, and it's so funny. I mean, I like Tony Khan, right? I'm sure Dago, you like Tony Khan, he, but. He makes- Great wrestling league. I'll say that much. Yes. Uh, you know, Fulham beat Aston Villa in the FA Cup this year. It's fine. I'm not venting. But I will tell you this. This idea that he put out that this team has a new regime is so false just because Tom Coughlin is gone because it's still this same organization with the same ownership, the same decision makers and Dave Caldwell who've basically hired this entire group that, of course, they're going to continue thinking – in the same exact manner. This is a team that has to hit a special period in the draft in order to be successful because they can't lure free agents, good free agents. They aren't signing their good players to second contracts. It doesn't seem to be a good environment. So this team will basically have to nail the number nine pick, the 20 pick, the 10th pick in the second round. You know, they have three fourth round picks. They'll need to have a monster year or two or three in the draft in order to be competitive long-term. And then we saw quickly that window closed for them last time. I was about to say, they're not even trying. I mean, only the Ravens and Broncos have fewer $20, $20 devoted to their offense right now. You, know, you can have your rookie quarterback that is playing great on a deal, but if you just don't want to give him a chance to succeed with everyone else elsewhere, you know, this, this is your Jacksonville Jaguars. In All summary, right. I am buying Leonard Fournette getting dealt. I know the two of you aren't. I'll let you say that, though. And uh, I'm also buying Ngakwe getting dealt, but I don't think they get even half of what they want for him and what he should garner. I'll take this one, and this will probably be my last one. Um, Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer reports that the Lions coaching staff has, quote, taken a real liking to Auburn defensive tackle Derek Brown in the top 10. I found this noteworthy. One, because, I mean, I'm obviously a little bit lower in Derek Brown's evaluation. The NFL seems to love him like everyone loves him. 
um, which is good. He's he's a solid player. I think it's easy to fall in love with this floor. I just question his ceiling as a prospect because he lacks that pass rushing juice because it, he's not quite an athlete. But this is fascinating to me for this reason, Ian. Where has Matt Patricia come from? The New England Patriots. Basically, every other New England Patriot disciple is building their defense in a different way. They're building it via coverage and not via the front seven. I mean, you just look at the Patriots, for one. You look at two, the Miami Dolphins with Byron Jones and Zayvon Howard. You even look at the the New York Giants. I mean, that's a team that signed James Bradbury this year after spending a first-round pick on DeAndre Baker last year. Meanwhile, the Lions traded away Quandre Diggs last year. They traded away Darius Slay this offseason and now might bypass one of these top corners in Jeffrey Kuda and C.J. Henderson in lieu of taking a defensive tackle. That doesn't line up to me. It's not great. And I was trying to make a point on Twitter yesterday. Like, other than saying they're the Lions, what can you really poke a massive hole in with this Detroit team potentially contending for a wild, spot, wild card spot next year? And my big reason for saying that was because of how just amazing Matt Stafford was in the first eight games of last season. Legit was an MVP candidate along with Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. They were three, four, and one. I know a win is a win is a win. With that said, two of those losses, one was that travesty of a robbery of that Green Bay game in the Chiefs game where we just had, you know, fumbles on the one yard line going back nine, nine yards to the house for the Chiefs. So this was a playoff worthy team in the first half of last year. Now, what are the two issues? Matt freaking Patricia and can his, def- can his defense get better? I don't have any reason to believe the defense is going to be better other than we can't predict defenses all that well year to year. Maybe right. they get kind of a, maybe they get a spike turnover year, but looking at the roster, I can't do that. I, and like you said, like there's at least a plan with these other squads. Patricia's plan seems to be get as many ex-Patriots involved as we can. And now he wants the defensive tackle that, again, very good on-field player, but clearly he doesn't seem to be an Adamican Sue, Aaron Donald type threat that you should spend a top 10 pick on. So I'm, I'm quickly, quickly not – I'm falling out of love with my Lions 2020 pick is what I'm saying. Okuda's over-under is four and a half, whereas Derek Brown's is still currently – seven and a half minus 155 so what that tells me is that while the Lions may take a liking to Brown they also know they can move back and have him uh it's not necessarily they're taking a liking to him at number three overall so that's where a situation like the Chargers jumping up perhaps if they are that interested in Herbert would make sense here um I still do believe though they stick and they just grab Okuda given how necessary it is for that team to add any any cornerback outside of Desmond Trufant to like shadow number one of wideouts. And again, just with this path that the NFL and those of us in, in football media um, have been, you know, taking of that coverage might now be more important than pass rush. Obviously that bunks, you know, this idea and team building that we've seen for decades and decades in the NFL. I think there's some truth to it though. Um, you mentioned that the potential of the lines moving back from number three and still landing uh, Derek Brown. Well, I, I wouldn't move past number eight with the Arizona Cardinals. So while they seemingly have defensive back issues as well, they've been strongly linked to Derek Brown mm-hmm. on the interior of that defensive line. Um, all right, Ian, do you have any more that you would like to place on the hot seat? Right now. I thought this one was interesting. So we're getting Chiefs radio host uh, Soren Petro believes it is a distinct possibility that the Chiefs move on from their stud defensive lineman Chris Jones and just get as much as they can. I mean, I love what the Chiefs have done this entire offseason because they're pretty much re-racking the group that got you the Super Bowl uh, last season. So I don't know why they would all of a sudden trade their best defensive player, I think we can say, with you know some 
uh, just f- feel good about that. F- for what? For some helpful picks down the line? We're hearing Henry Ruggs, trade rumors. I mean, it's like, what else do you need to do to this team? You already proved you can win it all. And a big reason why they won it all was, I think, adding guys like Frank Clark, Honey Badger to that defense to help, you know, get them younger, get give them some extra playmakers. But now you want to take away the key cog within all that. So I understand you got to pay Mahomes and, you know, very soon. And that's going to result in guys like Chris Jones not being able to keep around. But if you got Mahomes happy to play on his contract again for 2020, I don't know why Chris Jones is the type of player you're looking to get rid of. Per four for four footballs, Elliot Christ, who's doing tremendous work on draft betting right now. Uh, Andy Reid has picked inside the top 164 times in his 22-year coaching career. And 31 of those, nearly a 50% clip, have been either D-line or cornerback. And only seven of those times has it been offensive linemen. And what are the Chiefs' primary needs? It is D-line and cornerback, especially if this is true. So we know we have edge, edge rushers who could be falling. A guy like uh, – I know you don't like him, Josh, but a guy like A.J. Epinesa. We know guys like Jalen Johnson, Jeff Gladney, and even Christian Fulton could fall. So it just makes sense that the Chiefs could address that need at the very back end of the first round. Um, and, yes, they're not going to be as good as Chris Jones most likely. But if that's what it takes to, to settle your cap space, then sure. Yeah, and the team just has five total picks in this draft, one in each of the first five rounds. Obviously, all are at the end of the draft of each round, I should say, basically. Um, Yeah, Ian, I think this is an interesting thread based on just the conversation we're having before this. You know, there are multiple times that you and I would sit down on like our, our Thursday episode of the show or whatever it was and talk about how disgusting the Chiefs run defense was. You know, it was like last in run defense DVOA all season long. Ultimately, and you suggested this all year, it really didn't matter, you know? Like, that, that's a team that wants to get up on the scoreboard, and once they're on the scoreboard, it's defending the pass. And there are so many different ways that teams are built across the NFL right now that, you know, being complete on defense doesn't have to be won when Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, whoever else, are on the offensive side of the ball. So while you have some defensive playmakers and Juan Thornhill – and Teron Matthew, those might be enough to, to you know, be successful ultimately on defense. But I will say, Chris Jones makes an impact. Chris Jones is one of those impact players who those three to five snaps per game can, you know, potentially create a game-altering snap. And losing that would maybe be that icing on top of the cake that this team needs to be back-to-back Super Bowl champions. I thought that was one – I mean, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about how I thought the Ravens, their offseason has somewhat mirrored the Chiefs' offseason last year because the Ravens took a look at their defense, saw the hole, which was the front seven. This is why they had to blitz more than any other team in the league. We're able to add Clayus Campbell and Derek Wolf. So, you know, small moves, but when we're talking about already teams that are at the top of the class, top of the class of the NFL, these small moves make a, make a difference. And it has to be one of those trades that happens for a 2020 draft pick. It's not going to be one where – you know, Chris Jones gets traded after the draft for a 2021 draft pick because then that minimizes your window and your chance to win. And I just don't see the Chiefs being able to do that. I think that they would like rather him play in his contract and potentially leave after that than potentially give up and, and add a 2021 draft pick um, and him not be in the roster. What are y'all buying and selling then? Uh, I am I am selling the idea of Soren Petro saying it's quote unquote a distinct possibility that Chiefs moves Chris Young for as much as they can get. And I, I think that phrase as much as they can get 
is the one that I disagree with because that means it's like a, basically a foregone conclusion that he's on the move. Yeah. Unless, I mean, you know, we hear gentlemen saying he'll trade down for the, for, for a good offer, unless someone just blows away to Chiefs with an offer here. I don't think Chris Jones is going anywhere. I am selling that he's dealt and I'm buying that the Chiefs still draft defense. Hmm. Because even a guy like, as you said, what if you just have multiple pieces on your defense that can go all around? Even a guy like Xavier McKinney with Thornhill and Honey Badger, you can make that work. I don't think this team added a single free agent, right? Am I missing something? They just brought brought back their own. Yeah, they re-signed Breland. They re-signed Wiley. Like, yeah. And losing one of the Fuller brothers back to Washington is an area where they certainly haven't fixed or replaced that position either. Um, All right, John Daigle, I guess for the last individual nomination, it is up to you. Uh, let's more? knock out the cow. Oh, I got, I got three more. We have to discuss for you. Oh, no. um, I'm th- trying to get out of here. Dangle. <laughs> th- this, this is a big podcast, Josh. Okay. Well, let's just, we can, we can knock out two here actually uh, because the Cowboys have two needs really following the retirement of Travis Frederick. It is interior line and it is obviously quarterback given that they are depending on Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis to have bounce back or career seasons. So, I would just want to know what we're buying Cowboys going offense or defense at number 17. I don't see how it could be offense unless it's replacing Travis Frederick, right? Like it would that's be a, Cesar Ruiz. Yeah. I mean, who's been rumored. Yeah. Uh, to me. And look, everyone's evaluation is different. Even when they selected Travis Frederick, you know, they went very much against where he was ranked among the consensus, right. From outside mm-hmm. media sources and look how that ended up. But this interior offensive line class, I would say, is one of the weaknesses of the position. So unless they, you know, have him way above everyone else and want to take him at number 17, I highly doubt that happens. I think they try to go get their – it might not be at 17. We've seen them trade down a good amount of these drafts, but I think their first pick could very well be a center. I mean, even after they went and got, you know, Tyron, Zach Martin, Frederick, they've continued to re-up on the offensive line like early in drafts. They got Chaz Green in the third round in 2015. Uh, they got Connor Williams in the second round last year. Uh, I'm sorry, in 2018, Connor McGovern in the third round last year, like guys that weren't even locked in starting roles by any stretch of the imagination, but they still just want to keep adding to their strength, adding to the offensive line. So yeah, they, I think the more pressing hole is that cornerback. Joe Looney is far, far from a good NFL center. Not definitely not great, but you know, surrounded by those other guys, I think it's less of a pressing need, but just based on what the organization has done in the past, we're going to see one of those first two picks go towards an interior offensive lineman. Ruiz, at the very least, is an option. It sounds like they're definitely higher on one of Javon Kinlaw, A.J. Terrell, or Caleb on Chason, the latter who I don't even know will make it there at 17. But this leads me to the next part of this question. This does make sense that the team perhaps trades for Jamal Adams. Uh, I don't think it happens. But if they're like, if there's a team that's one piece away, like I think Jamal Adams is that piece this team's absolutely needs. I'm just shocked that that storyline went completely away than where we're at the trade deadline. It looked like not a near certainty, but like a, a, a very significant possibility mm-hmm. that Jamal Adams was headed to the Dallas Cowboys. And like they were one pick different in, in their compensation, it seemed like. And maybe, you know, when that story gets out to the media, it's overblown, so on and so forth, because you know, I, I think we're all you know grasping at straws around trade deadline time to make it relevant. But Ian, I, I was shocked that you know after the season, during free agency, during that period, it certainly seemed like Jamal Adams was not going to be on the move again after possibly being traded at the deadline. Yeah, just because they keep telling us that he's possibly being traded, I don't understand why. I mean, it's kind of like 
Jacksonville. Like, what does someone now need to do in New York to get an extension? Shipping away Leonard Williams. They're not willing to give Jamal Adams a contract. I mean, I know I know, I know all the Chargers stands or Team Derwin James. He's amazing. But I truly believe Jamal Adams right now is operating as arguably the best safety in the league. And I would take him over Derwin. I think he's a better overall football player, even if Derwin's the better athlete. The fact we're even having, we can have a conversation about that means he's a guy you should have on your football team. Yeah, if the Cowboys can get him, great. But I, I don't know why the Jets would trade away this guy. He's so they, They're asking themselves, do we do the Amari Cooper deal again only two years later? And I think the answer, if it's an option, I don't even know if it's an option, but the answer in my mind would be yes. You absolutely give first round and a day two pick and then re-sign Jamal Adams the moment he lands with you. I don't think that this is a Kansas City type scenario here with Dallas, though, at pick 17, where you know they're investing so much in offense and just letting defense be what it what it is currently. Because you know, they didn't have a first round pick last year because the Amari Cooper deal. In the second round, they they selected Tristan Hill. Um, and and you know, he he's been an adequate player to this point. Maybe he hits his ceiling there but you know that that's still a position of need is defensive tackle you mm-hmm. mentioned it on the draft show that Javon Kinlaw is a potential fit there because of the likes of Don Terry Poe and Gerald McCoy coming from the league's worst defensive line on the interior now are their starters along their interior so and then they still need help at the end I mean come on what's the over under on Alden Smith and Randy Gregory games this year three <laughs> you know, I, I, I really think was a thing. Ian, I really think they are banking on one of them hitting right now. Like, like that that's their home run swing. And if it connects, they probably think that they have a damn good defensive line. So right they, now, this would this would be the first season in forever they don't open up the year with at least one D lineman suspended. So kudos, I guess. They they kudos. are really high on Terrell though. Like really high. Oh, okay. I don't know if I have any more. Any quick hits out there? I was shocked to hear Chris Sims on his own podcast mm-hmm. hype up Cole Komet, the Notre Dame tight end, saying he would be shocked if he was not a first-round selection. This tight end group this year, I think, is absolutely abysmal. Um, but we know that Mr. Chris Sims, I'll speak for him, he's not going to say it, has some connections to the Patriots, has some connections to the 49ers. We have yep. seen linked to Evan Ingram. So among teams that could potentially use that player, um, that style, that position in the first round. Those are two, but I ultimately think it absolutely will not happen. In fact, I bet Cole Komet is closer to a third-round pick than he's a first-round pick. Per NFL Network's Tom Pellicero this morning, Tuesday morning, one anonymous AFC coach said, if you want Komet, you're going to have to take him late first or early, early second. He's probably one of the top in-line wise in the last couple years, super smart and high character in every way. And we know the Patriots don't pick again until number 87 after number 23. I look forward to seeing what you can do in a second season because rookie tight ends never do anything. <laughs> yeah, glad to have you on board, Ian Harditz. <laughs> glad to have you on board. In fact, I mean, right now it came out where from Michael Lombardi that Adam Shaheen is looking to be on the move. Like Adam Shaheen yeah. was just a second-round pick from a couple of years ago that you know people were getting excited about coming out from a non-FBS program. And he's just another case. I'm not saying he's going to be good, but another case – of letting the NFL evaluate for you, like allowing the NFL to, to put him on the field, to see NFL snaps with him, and then going and trading for him at a discounted price. I would much rather do that than spend a first-round pick on Cole Komet. But that's just wow. me. Wow, so they can get rid of Shaheen, leave them with only like seven or eight tight ends left <laughs> on the roster. Wow. And still be bad at the position. Imagine well, that. 
So rather than Komet or Shaheen, what do we think about O.J. Howard then? Who's also oh. been a reported trade rumors. I'm not going to say it's shocking because he hasn't been productive and he hasn't been consistent. But just going back and, and remembering what Jason Likes said after drafting O.J. Howard, and I believe this was pre-Bruce Arians, if I'm not mistaken. O.J. Howard was this complete tight end, that they were stunned that he was still on the board for them. It, it just takes these guys time. And I, I, no doubt about it, these general managers, these head coaches, lose patience with these young tight ends because they just don't produce, they make mistakes, so on and so forth. But you have to have the mindset that they're going to give you nothing in their first year or two. I actually think O.J. Howard has done reasonably well when given the opportunity post-production but it's just not, he's not a focal point, and that's obviously what you want when you select one in the top 15. Hey, here's a full list. Among tight ends that had 50 targets last year, here's the only ones that averaged more yards per target than O.J. Howard. Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, and Jared Cook. That's it. They just don't throw him the ball. When they throw him yeah. the ball, good things happen. They don't throw him. And, and imagine if we see, because all three of these names have been mentioned, O.J. Howard, David Njoku, and Evan Ingram in trade targets. All three were first-round picks in the same exact class. All three could have better careers in their second contract than they did in their first one. Again, I am like one of the things I've become more certain of is, is just don't believe the hype in first round tight ends in their first two to three years. But after that, I'm buying. I'm actually buying. If all three of those guys cost you the same, who would you want for the next five years? Oh man. I have a soft spot in my heart for Evan Ingram, man. I really do. Like he just, he just moves differently than almost anyone at that tight end position. And so many people underrate his blocking. And that's not even the most important facet of his game. But he gets after it. He's competitive. I would love to see Evan Ingram and George Kittle in that same tight end group and allow Kyle Shanahan to get the ball in both their hands and let him rumble. That would be fun. That would be so much fun. Uh, for the Patriots, at least, we know they put Joe Tooney on the block. And I think that's a good co- starting conversation for O.J. Howard who we know they Ooh. called about at the trade deadline. There's one something for one. that can be done there, yeah. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, the Patriots seem to be like, taking the long path here with Joe Tooney of, you know, at the beginning saying, oh, yeah, we want to sign him to a long-term contract. But basically, they didn't want to lose him just for a compensatory pick in the future. And now it looks like he'll just be dealt for compensation, uh, possibly, um, in this draft. Can we wrap it up, John Daigle? Is there more you want to talk about? Are we good? I think uh, my doc just got cleared out. We're good. (laughs) We're here for the people. We had to get it done. We are here for the people. Um, Also, reach out to us if we forgot any. Hit us up on Twitter. I'll be happy to give my two cents on any of the draft rumors out there as well. Um, Again, we will have you covered during NFL Draft Weekend. Blurbs of every single player selected, courtesy of Hayden Winks, courtesy of John Daigle. We'll have boards in between days. We'll have mock drafts in between days as well and go and check out obviously our full first round mock on the previous episode of this or you can find it on youtube as well and the podcast first thing friday morning in your feed with first round reactions and we're on television every day 11 40 eastern we are from this very show right now yeah us three all right that's going to do it for us my name is josh norris john daigle ian harditz thank you so much ladies and gentlemen up Aston Villa, and we'll talk to you soon. Now go away. Stop. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.